0: I've entitled this sermon, Racism, Get Off Your Donkey and Do Something, because it's become, uh, it's just hit the press. The, the stuff about um, Winnipeg and uh, some of the challenges we're facing as a, as a community, I don't know, did, how many people read this article, how many people heard about this article in Macleans? the front cover, isn't it great to make the front cover of Macleans? how many folks read the article or a a little bit of it okay all right Um, tough stuff to deal with and uh so i thought well let's let's see what the bible says the next couple of weeks we're going to talk about uh racism this week we're gonna uh, next week we're going to talk about um an instance of racism in the early church and how christians dealt with it uh this morning's going to be a little more uh, general, but it's it's a challenging it's a challenging issue to address. And um, part of the article, one of the quotes said, uh, "One in three Prairie residents believe that many racial stereotypes are accurate." Now, I'm not here to um, critique the article. Um, my view is that there's racism everywhere. Um, that doesn't justify what happens here it's just it's an ugly problem what bothers me in particular is when I come across racism in the church because it doesn't belong there but the church is full of human beings like me and uh, it's something we need to address together and just have an honest conversation about to his credit shortly uh, after this article came out our mayor Brian Bowman gathered a bunch of community leaders together and um, he did not decide to attack the messenger like many people did um, went after the uh, author of this report who originally is from winnipeg and said oh she doesn't know what she's talking about blah 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 but what i appreciated about his leadership is that he tried to do something about it right away and and consult with other people and bring people together and mayor bowman was at a gathering a pastor's gathering Last week, I heard him on Tuesday uh, address all these uh, pastors and uh, leaders of nonprofits and things like that. One of the things he said is that he did not want to go negative and attack the messenger. He wanted to have some kind of a positive, constructive response. And he also said, made this statement, which stayed with me. I wrote it down. His dream for Winnipeg is that anything is possible for anyone in Winnipeg. Anything is possible for anyone in Winnipeg. Uh, that's a pretty lofty goal to aspire to, but I like that. That's something we can get behind. Now, I've not come here as a, to do a pep talk for Brian Bowman, but as our mayor, we do need to pray for him, and that's why we put on our church sign. He just finished his first 100 days. We need to pray for him. That doesn't mean we endorse everything he does or says or whatever, but we're supposed to pray for people in authority over us. And to his credit, he wanted to deal with this issue head on. But how do we deal with racism in the church? Um, as I was saying, its um, I've encountered racism both inside and outside the church, and anywhere you find it, It's quite ugly. So I thought it would be helpful to to look at the story that was read today that uh, Jesus was telling. And we need to look at it, of course, in context. When you look at a passage in the Bible, you always have to see, okay, who is the audience? Who is it written for? Who is listening? What was going on? Get the background. It gives us the bigger picture. So here's what happened. One day, Jesus is talking to... um, a group of religious leaders, and he's always on the hot seat, right? Jesus is always stirring the pot, whether intentionally or not, and everything seems to hit the fan when he's in town. He would give such interesting press conferences, I think, and he was never, he was never bland or boring. I don't know what happens in church. Why we make Jesus tepid and lame, and he's not. Jesus is not some pussy cat. That, that sits on the lap of some limp priest and just behaves. Jesus is the lion of Judah, you know. Like he he speaks truth and life to people, and he brings all kinds of stuff going on. But he's never boring. So anyway, in this particular gathering, um, all these experts, these religious law experts, are, are are testing him. I think they wanted to have a little fun with this street preacher who, from the little hick town of Nazareth, obviously untrained, uneducated. I mean, he was a carpenter of all things. What would he know about the Jewish law? And so they wanted to poke him and prod him and maybe lift the air out of his balloon a little bit. And so the conversation starts. The expert stood up to test Jesus. Um, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And this was a classic um, question for debate that happened all the time. People trying to figure out how do we get to heaven? How do we have a relationship with, with the creator? And, and trying to outdo each other. And, and Jesus, of course, turns it back on them and says, well, you know, how do you read the law? What do you think it says? And uh, the man quotes a passage from Deuteronomy and then a, another passage from Leviticus. How many people have had their quiet time in Leviticus this week? Come on. There's good stuff there, apparently, because that's where it says love your neighbor with all uh, your heart. So, and and the man says you've got to love your God with everything you've got, your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind. Isn't that encouraging for those of you who are studying in school? Love God with your mind. Wow. Okay. That's another sermon, but I'm going to avoid that temptation right now. And love your neighbor as yourself. Bingo, Jesus says. Keep it up, and you'll live. Good on you, mate. Same. Good work. Now, I think the lawyer was a little bit ticked off at this point because Jesus kept asking him questions, answering questions with questions, and he was kind of overstating the obvious, and I think he was getting a little bit hot under the collar. And being the self-righteous type, the lawyer wanted to prove something to the audience and prove something to this young buck who needed to be taken down a couple of pegs well then who is my neighbor you know let's let's get things let's nail things down precisely exactly like do i have to show neighborliness to people who are not like me being a good jew uh this man w- wasn't thinking outside the household of faith he was he wasn't thinking of anybody who is non-jewish at all he just said what exactly who is my neighbor technically i could almost see him with the tape measure he's like okay maybe like a like a hundred meter diameter of my home that's my neighbor and so the person on the other side of town is not my neighbor like he, he was he wanted to be that anal about the details because his heart really wasn't in the conversation he was just trying to test jesus the best way to respond to somebody like this is to tell them a story, which, of course, Jesus did, right? And he tells a story uh, uh, of what happened. And I've been asking a few friends. Well, well, let me tell you a little bit of a story. Of course, the, this, uh, it was a Jewish man traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And from the studies that I've done... Um, it's a very dangerous road. Um, in only a few miles, the elevation drops about 1,000 feet from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And it's a very long and winding road. And it's very uh, people are very susceptible to being ambushed and mugged by robbers and thieves. And in fact, people back then called it the bloody way. Isn't that great? There was a... a, a documentary on this week that was talking about talking about a highway of in in northern bc that they call the highway of tears because so many aboriginal women have been abducted while they've been uh, hitchhiking so it was a very dangerous piece of road you didn't want to be out there alone okay it was a very sketchy place to travel and of course while this man was going down he was he was attacked he was mugged and beaten and left for dead on the side of the road does that sound familiar, something that might happen in our town? And um, the first person that comes along is a priest, which is good news, right? And what does the priest do? Walks on the other side of the road. Oh, well. But good news, a Levite's coming next, like a, a leader in the temple worship, you know? And what does the Levite do? walks on the other side of the road and walks by and who comes and helps the this the victim who comes and helps the robbery victim in this story a samaritan now let's put it into cultural context here we think of good samaritan it's become an expression this story we put the words good and samaritan together a good samaritan is anybody who helps stops and helps someone in need right And all kinds of stories about Good Samaritans abound, and there are Good Samaritan laws that pop up, you know, to protect you. If you go and help someone, you're not sued for trying to help them, and all kinds of discussion. So a Good Samaritan is generally a good connotation. But to the original audience in this story, this would have been absolutely scandalous. And here's why. Samaritans and Jews hated each other. You think racism is a problem in Winnipeg? And it is. They hated each other's gods. They just totally just could not stand each other. It was the worst possible person, the least likely person to come along and help a wounded Jewish person on the side of the road would be a Samaritan and vice versa. They'd be more likely to walk by and say, he got what he deserved, ha! and give another kick and keep going. It's that, that the kind of attitude that was there. It was absolutely scandalous. Imagine this story happening in Winnipeg. Steve Bell is playing with the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra downtown. And it's been a lovely, fantastic night of uplifting worship and praising God, and it's been amazing. And one of the leading pastors in the city comes out of the concert hall, full of God and feeling wonderful, and he noticed somebody lying behind a dumpster. And there's a little twinge of guilt, and he, eh, he gets in his car and drives home. Then, one of the leading businessmen in the city, one of the leading Christian businessmen in the city, the one who gets his name put up all over buildings and donating, is known for charity and good works and has a good reputation, He sees the same person lying behind a dumpster. And it's funny because it's a person from his church. It's someone that he knows. It's not a stranger. But he just gets in his car and goes home. Someone comes along and helps the person lying behind the dumpster. Now, who do you think that would be? Who do you think... The equivalent of a samaritan would be for people like us i did a little poll of people this week to come up with possible equivalent to a samaritan obviously anybody who's not like us maybe one of those people you know who those people are right those people that we talk about those people who are different from us they eat different food. They look different. They smell different. They talk different. They're different. Maybe it was a sex trade worker. Maybe it was a transvestite. Maybe, maybe it was an abortion doctor. Maybe it was someone who advocates Islamic jihad. Maybe it was a child molester. Maybe it was a gang member. Crooked politician. Someone very unlikely. Some despised person stopped and helped the wounded victim. Who's just like the first two people who walked by. And took the citizen and, 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 and took them to HSC. Now, no, the victim didn't have their health card, there was no ID on the victim because the victim had been robbed, right? So the person who helps the victim, the good Samaritan, so to speak, in this story, says to the admitted HSC, I know you don't have ID in this person, but here's my visa number, and make sure they get looked after. I don't know if they have health coverage or not, and if there's anything that needs to be done, you just put it on my tab, and I'll come back and settle it up in a couple of days. And Jesus is saying... Um, so who showed mercy who is the neighbor to the to the man who was behind the dumpster who's the neighbor in this story what's really funny what's ironic is in this story the lawyer spits out the one who showed him mercy he didn't even want to say the word samaritan it would like it would stain his lips he didn't want to admit it and i think he i think he gritted his teeth as he said this the one who showed him mercy and Jesus, of course, just to rub it in slightly, he says, good, go and do the same. Good for you. You got a check mark. Here's your gold star. Now go live it out. What's the point? Why does Jesus make the Samaritan the good, the hero of the story? What point is he trying to make? It goes beyond just loving your neighbor and loving your enemy, which are very important things, right? The whole context of the story is, how do we get eternal life? Love God with everything you have and love your neighbor. If you love God with everything you have, you can't help but love your neighbor. Because if you love God to keep his commandments, commandments like don't lie, honor God, don't bear false witness against your neighbor, that means you don't treat your neighbor, you don't look at people different from you and say, oh, those are those other people. They're the ones that all the headlines are written about. They're the ones that are messing up the neighborhood. Those are the ones that are causing problems all the time. It's those people. It's so easy for us to dehumanize and objectify people that are different from us. Why is it that when I ride the bus and I hear someone speaking, a couple of people speaking in another language, I always think they're talking about me? You know, <laughs> what's with that? They may be, or they may—they not be. But it's just that—it's just that uncomfortableness with something in a strange situation, where we tend to react out of fear and control, and instantly assume they're talking about me. They don't like me. I don't fit in. I'm not like them. There's this difference, and all of a sudden the walls go up, and you never have a chance to come down. And to protect ourselves, we objectify other people. And we start building up these walls of stereotype. Oh, those people, they always do this, and they never do that. And we build up these walls. And that's just not godly. That's not what God does with us, right? So why does Jesus make a Samaritan the hero of the story? What point is he trying to make here? Yeah. That there's goodness in all of us. Yeah, thanks. I think that's what, that's what he's uh, trying to get across, is that he's also trying to show the lawyer, we are all in deep trouble. We all are in need of mercy. And he's trying to get the lawyer to put himself in the place of the victim. Now, if the lawyer had been the hero of the story, and the Samaritan had been the victim... Maybe, just maybe, showing off his benevolence and what a great person he is, maybe the lawyer might have stopped to help the poor Samaritan, even though in real life he probably would have walked by or quietly cheered and think, ah, he got what he deserved. But Jesus uses a Samaritan to Challenge the lawyer's assumptions about God and what it means to have a relationship with God and especially what it means to love your neighbor by saying the most unlikely despised person showed mercy on someone. In a similar way, we need mercy from God so badly. Why do we waste our time? Not spend our time. Why do we waste our time judging those people who are different from us without examining what's in our own hearts. That's why Jesus used the Samaritan in this story to try to shock his audience and saying, hey, you know what? God's grace is available for everyone. And God's grace can often flow through the most unlikeliest of sources. So he's challenging the racism of his day by saying, hey, We are all in deep need of mercy. God offers that mercy. We need to humble ourselves and be ready to accept it from him. And if we live a life that's based on receiving God's mercy, there's no way we can exclude anyone else or set up barriers against anyone else in our lives. We can't. It's just wrong. It's it's downright ugly. I hope you know me well enough that it's not my intention to create a huge layer of guilt over us all. Because that's not going to be helpful. Conviction, that's God prompting us to change our attitudes towards other people. But just feeling guilty all day isn't going to do anything. So how do we move forward from here? I wanted us to think about this story just a little bit more. Put ourselves in the place of the the priest and the Levite, the the priest and the temple helper, or if you want, the, the pastor and the Christian businessman in this story, and ask yourself this question. This is what they asked. If I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? I think that was the real issue in this story. People ask themselves, well, if I stop to help this guy, what's going to happen to me? Maybe he's faking it. Maybe he's faking an injury. That's happened. And maybe his friends are going to jump out of the bushes and get me. Or I just don't want to get involved. I just don't have time. Whatever. What will happen to me? Okay? It's a legitimate question, but it, it really challenges do I love God or not? Do I love my neighbor or not? When I respond that way, what will happen to me? Now, the good Samaritan, when he stopped, he asked himself, if I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? See the difference? The Samaritan in this story was the person who didn't just love God, but also loved his neighbor. And you can't have one without the other. Sorry, it just doesn't work. You can't love God without loving your neighbor. It just, it just flows out of a relationship with a father. Because if we know how much God has changed us from the inside out, what he's done for us, all the stuff we were singing this morning on the wings of an eagle, we will rise. I believe it. So it's time for us to live it out in our actions, in our attitudes towards other people, especially those other people that are different from us. And maybe, whatever category you place your other people in, maybe today is an opportunity for you to start to get to know some of those other people. Practice the three-minute rule after church, or the 30-minute rule over lunch, and just get to know people. Get to know them by name, not just by their appearance. This is how God changes a Winnipeg. It's one individual at a time. You can't legislate. You can you can put laws in place to uh, prevent, to try to prevent bullying and racism and all this ugly stuff. But ultimately, you cannot legislate change in the human heart. You can't. You can play, Laws are in place to protect society, but they can't change people from the inside out. But as we learn how to love God with everything we've got, then we automatically love our neighbor. It flows from that. And God changes our attitudes. We stop seeing people as those people. And God reveals to us they're individuals just like us. We are all in need of mercy, just like the the robbery victim in the story of the Good Samaritan. And God may supply help from an unlikely source, that's going to challenge our misconceptions and and preconceptions uh, about other people. And that's a good thing. That's another way of God showing his mercy to us. Next week, we're going to talk about how the church solved a challenging racial problem right at its heart. Uh, Early on, it had to sort out some, deal with some serious stuff. And we're going to see how God led them to a a positive solution let's stop and pray right now father we confess that we often objectify other people we can have racial attitudes negative attitudes and stereotypes we believe maybe we've grown up with them maybe we've absorbed them through the media or through uh, our peers father i pray that you would Forgive us and free us from a judgmental spirit. Help us not to see those people as of less value. Help us to embrace people that are different from ourselves. Not out of political correctness, but out of the love of Christ. Thank you, Jesus, that you love all cultures, all ethnic groups and that your family is not monocultural, but you've got such a variety, a variety of people in your family. Lord, I pray that Elam Chapel would be a place that would be racism-free, and that our attitudes would be positive and constructive, and that you would indeed Bless Winnipeg so that it could be a place where anybody can achieve anything with your strength. We pray these things confidently in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.